Today on Rob Observations, we go all in on cover enhancements, gimmicks, gimme, gimme, gimmicks is the title of this show as we deep dive into all the ways publishers have utilized to get you to buy more of their comics, glow in the dark, holograms, hall of foil, what is a die cut anyway, we talk about it today, we go all the way in on all the history of, co of cover enhancements and gimmicks throughout comics over the last 30, 40 years. And it's not just publishing, you guys. It is it is happening at movie houses with DVDs, variant versions of your DVD, your your your, your 4K version, your steelbooks, different movie posters and movie tickets to get you to go to different chains, to go to that specific theater chain to watch that movie. It's all over. That's what we do today with Gimme Gimme Gimmicks. Also, Recency bias. What is it? And how does it apply to not only today's publishing, but today's movies? We look at how it is affecting perceptions surrounding the brand new Batman film, The Batman, from Matt Reeves and Robert Pattinson. It's a loaded show. Let's get going. Welcome to another edition of Rob's Observations. Hey, everybody. This is Rob Liefeld. You are listening to another edition of Rob's Observations. We are going to um, jam it all together today because this absolutely is a topic that ranges from comics all the way through to movie theaters as of right now, even, even DVDs. We are talking gimmicks. Gimme, gimme, gimmicks is uh, the title of this show and for a good reason because uh, so much has been stirring lately as I look backwards and I don't have to look back that far ever uh, to, to encounter uh, these, these gimmicks, but the... Uh, the, the, the gimmicks that I'm talking about vary all over the place. And, and we're going to cover kind of the birth. What happened? Who, really, who, who expanded and who engaged in the gimmick like the absolute most? Well, we're going we're gonna to find that out uh, today as we examine kind of the birth, the exploitation, the, the, the growth of the gimmick. My uh, first memory of an actual... Uh, gimmick and a gimmick and a variant aren't always the same thing, but for our purposes, uh, right now we're gonna we're gonna hypothesize that that, that this my first experiment uh, experience with a variant was my first experience with what I thought was a was an actual gimmick, and and I'm telling you guys, I mean literally, w w stay with me on this because because we are gonna really examine uh, mainly because I'll tell you why uh, the the. The looking back on Image Comics and the 30th uh, year anniversary, and and look, uh, 30 years ago in Image Comics and that 1992 and everything that was going on during that time, that was a time of, depending on where you were sitting, great excitement, great upheaval. Uh, it, 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 it was definitely a, a time of uh, where 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 people were, uh, you know, either feeling really really good, and I I see a lot of the people out there feeling really, really good, or it was the people who were a little resentful or they've, they've, they've diminished it down to, uh, you know, just, a a terrible time in comics or the worst case scenario, the gimmick, it's, it's a gimmick, it's a gimmick. And I'm like, wait, wait a second here. What, what are you talking about? A gimmick. Okay. Uh, I, I feel like Image Comics was so much more th than that, but like with so much that happened during that period, people like to pin this. So 
pin pin variants and gimmicks somewhere on Image Comics where I think you'll see by the time we're done here today, that is so very much not the case, but it is not something that has stayed within comics as you see if you stay with this. Uh, you are getting variants and gimmicks in every aspect of pop culture now. Uh, you know, I mean, it, 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 it's really hard to, to avoid on any platform, but so we're going to start with my own version, my, my vision of of the first variant I ever saw. And you guys have heard me talk about the time when I was working as a clerk at a comic book store in Tustin. That that store, uh, Tustin Tunes and Toys, moved locations since when I was there, but it's still in Tustin. They really only moved down a few blocks. But in the opening year of that store, which is uh, when I went there between 86 and 87. And, and so during that period, the format of comics was definitely advancing and the what 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 some people now call perfect bound uh for the longest time it was called the dark knight format because when frank miller's dark knight came out the format in and of itself was something that a lot of people were excited about it was 48 pages it was square bound there was no staples it was like a mini what 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 had been previously experienced as a graphic album but most graphic albums graphic novels at that time were twice up they were much bigger Marvel had done an entire line of graphic novels, and they were all magazine size. But when it came, when it comes to uh, the the uh, the Dark Knight, all four issues were in this comic book size, perfect bound. That's what it you know was called from the '90s through the perfect bound. But in the '80s, everyone just said, "Oh, the Dark Dark Knight format, Dark Knight format," because no one had experienced it previously. DC sank their teeth into this hard, and they because they were the you know, purveyors of this, um, the launch of this, this format, they immediately followed up. And I'm not sure if Mike Grell, who is a very popular fan favorite at the time, he, uh, they brought him back to do a green arrow story. He had come to prominence at DC doing, doing warlord and legion of superheroes and green lantern. And then he went off and really did a whole bunch of indie work with, uh, star slayer and sable and all different manner of just indies that he was mixing it up on. But he landed back at DC to have the first post-Dark Knight, Dark Knight format, or Perfect Bound. Again, this same 48-page, slick, uh, 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 no-staple cover. More like a more like a, 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 a little mini, mini book. And he did Green Arrow, The Longbow Hunters. And there were people who were excited about that based on literally based on the fact that it was in the same format. So you can see where they're like, hey man, people are buying everything just in this format. And and honestly, it, it, it felt like that because I was ringing up books at the register. And when I started at the comic book store, it was when Dark Knight 3 and 4 were coming out. Uh, 1 and 2 had already come out. Dark Knight got a little bit behind on the schedule. And so it took about three to four months between issues 3 and 4 and then by that time, they had already, you know, a book that had supposed to come out in like four months took almost a year to ship in, in regards to Dark Knight, but who cares, right? From from that moment on, once it was completed and put into a trade in a hardcover, no one looks back other than guys like myself who remember it. No one knows that that book took, you know, time or, or was, there were gaps in the publishing shipping schedule. They just accepted it. Uh, so Longbow Hunters followed immediately because it had extra time padded in because of the delays on Dark Knight. 
And that was a hit. It was a legit hit. It actually sold surprisingly well because people now thought, well, this is where the cool comics are. The cool comics are in the format. Howard Chaikin did a Blackhawk. Um, they did a Jim Starlin uh, uh, project in the same format. I mean, they were pumping stuff out in this format because they believed in this format. They absolutely 100% thought this was the future. And these books obviously were all, were marked up. They, they weren't a buck 25, buck 50. These were more expensive items. So in the midst of all this, as DC is having this great success, in this period for when they started Crisis on Infinite Earths in 1985, where they rebooted all of their continuity all the way through up till 87, was like this two-year epic run for them. They relaunched the Justice League. They made it um, a little offbeat, a little funny. They made it a little uh, uh, j- just uh, not what you expected. It was no longer the serious approach to the Justice League that we had known. The lineup was different. It was a little offbeat. Batman was really the only traditional. The Green Lantern who was representing was Guy Gardner, who was kind of a smartass, a snarky guy. You had Captain Atom. You had Dr. Light. Uh, Eventually, you had Booster Gold. Um, But you you had Captain Marvel. Shazam! Okay? So, So they relaunched Justice League. It was a monster hit. Really, honestly, the approach was one thing. But the artwork of Kevin Maguire, and I've mentioned it before... Uh, in, in a podcast, I, I did it about, about you know, right before the 90s, the bridge to get there, there was very few new talents emerging. And it was like a three-year period. And really, it was like Art Adams, Mike Mignola, and Kevin McGuire. And when Kevin McGuire hit, I mean, it was the perfect platform. He had a penchant for drawing realistic expressions and faces. And the, the, the artwork was very tight and commercial, and he had just a very confident line. It was very crisp. It was um, immediately scooped up by the comic book fan base. We loved it. I loved it. I, I was on the cusp of breaking in myself and could not believe, like, oh my gosh, I have to start paying attention to the way he's approaching faces. And I did, and my samples that I was going out with immediately reflected the sensibilities. Um, look in the mirror, uh, d- d- catch... Uh, different facial expressions. He wasn't just the range of the surprise, bewilderment, and uh, and anger and rage that was so commonplace in comic books, uh, or just the stoic. Kevin McGuire rarely did stoic. He was really invested, interested in doing quirks. We um, Really funny, uh, comedic facial expressions. But bottom line, Justice League was a giant hit. Lo and behold, though, three months into their run... They produce a variant like that. My boss who owned the store said, we have a limited edition of these. These are, this is an experiment DC is doing. And, and what I was told at the time, and I, I never tracked it. So I don't know the exact extent of this. I'm not bringing a full extent of the knowledge of this cover. I was heard it was a Midwest variant. I heard it was a newsstand variant, but there was a different cover on justice league the Kevin Maguire 1987 Justice League number three than there was for the direct market. I preferred this cover. We had two of them. I was like, I need to have this. He had a really, um, you know, expensive, uh, ex- uh, expensive price tag on it. And I, j- I went for it, man. I, uh, it, it says, okay, you know, the, in- the, 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 the magic of the internet distributed only the select markets, this Superman logo variant. Okay of Justice League number three was a marketing experiment by DC Comics in an effort to sell more comics to younger readers on the newsstand. 
While we are unable to confirm, apparently the logo variants were only released in select California areas. Well, that would make sense. I, I thought it was Midwest. And it was only uh, limited to 5,000 copies. But again, it, it's, it's a, it has a different logo on it, setting apart the cover. And, I, and I'm, I'm telling you, uh, it, 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 was, it was quite, like to me, like the shock. Like, wait, what do you mean? I've, I've got to pay attention to this. That was that was really the overriding, um, you know, thought process was I got to pay attention to this. What's going on here? What do you mean there's a there's a different version? The the regular version has the Justice League backed up in Russia against a uh, uh, a chain link fence, nuclear radiation signs on it, and they are surrounded by the Rocket Reds, which were these, you know, uh, uh, army of kind of uh, tech Russian soldiers with this all, all identical jetpacks armor, the Rocket Reds. The <clears throat> Superman logo variant had a Rocket Red in midair wrestling with Batman as Shazam flies up and says, hang on, Batman, I'm coming. And Batman says, forget me, Captain Marvel. You've got to save the world from nuclear destruction is the lower uh, word balloon all in giant caps and a font and the nuclear reactors are on fire. So it's a little more like throwback i'm here to save you no save the world captain marvel so it's it's a uh, the regular edition rocket to russia with the rust justice league is just what is over the logo is the standard edition and then we got this much more appealing again drawn by kevin mcguire much more uh, appealing to me the variant I, I i had to have it so i mean my 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 boss asked for like he was gonna mark them up for like 15 bucks i paid it I had to have it. I was obsessed with Kevin Maguire's art and this only reinforced what I thought like my entire collecting life prior to that, which would cover at least about 12 years in, in regards to me biting down big on the comic book Apple in 1975. Now we're in 1987. John Byrne, George Perez, Art Adams, guys, you've heard me mention many, multiple times, especially, especially during the George Perez Titans run or the, or the, uh, John Byrne X-Men run or X-Men run, or even afterwards, there was an artist named Paul Smith, an animator that came on. He did one year's worth of X-Men. It blew all of our minds. We all thought he was like, you know, next to God, God level art in, 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 in re respect to what he was giving to the X-Men and the excitement and the fresh, it, it was, it, it felt like discovering burn all over again, but he just, he stayed on one exact year and was gone. But that one year is so impactful. Uh, I'm sure I've discussed that on previous uh, episodes because I've done a number of different episodes. If you go back to season one, season two, on how they grew the X Men and and the appeal of the X Men and how the X Men never really looked back and it kept expanding. But this variant was my first time going. Whoa! I had to have it. I paid the markup. I paid the markup to my boss. He put the other one on the wall. We sold it that weekend. I had to have it. I had to have. The, I had to have the variant. I wanted to have a complete uh, uh, collection of anything Kevin McGuire Kevin McGuire was depicting on the Justice League. So that's my cross to bear. And what I was saying about the Perez Titans and the Burn X-Men and the Smith X-Men, if they had come with two covers every month, I would have bought them. As long as John Byrne did the covers or Paul Smith did the covers or George Perez did the covers. Because I understood how hard it was to meet those deadlines and get those books out. But as a fan, I was addicted. I was absolutely addicted to their art, their depictions. That is what, again, the art is what drives the comic books for me. Otherwise, it's novels. It's screenplays. I'm not interested. I want the art. I pursued all of these artists. And I mean, literally, it, 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 
there, there are so many different artists that I have pursued in my career. And I was fortunate and have been fortunate enough to be one of those artists whose work is pursued by fans. So, so I know this to quote, uh, I believe it was Mark Wade who said this, the ass I smell is my own. When speaking of the fanboy, I am the fanboy. The ass I smell is my own. Okay. So here we go. Uh, I, I quoted that a couple episodes back. I think I've got it right now. That's exactly the quote. So, so had John Byrne been doing two covers to every X-Men, boom, boom, I'm buying two. I was, guys, if I haven't confessed here before, by the time, you know, he was in the middle of his X-Men run, I was buying two. I was buying three. Days of Future Past, I probably bought, I probably bought four, four issues, four copies of X-Men 141. A copy to read, a copy to draw from that I would, you know, look at and draw pictures from. A copy to collect, because again, now now X-Men, Days of Future Past, year in 1980, I'm discovering comic book stores. I'm understanding the value of condition. You know, no longer could I allow my mom to be, make my comic books her, um, her, her you know, place setter for her Coca-Cola. Or her, my mom would only drink soda in a big, thick glass, glass of ice. I mean, it was like her scotch. It was like her vodka. Patty Liefeld wanted her Coca-Cola or... or Maybe it was Pepsi. It was brown. Okay, it was brown soda. It wasn't scotch. But uh, she, I saw her pour it out of the bottle. Th- th- there was a joke in my family. If, if, the, if the soda guy would make deliveries like the milk guy, we would keep that guy busy all the time. I swear, I do not know how my mom was so tiny her entire life because she drank, I, I felt like she drank all the soda, you know, in the county. But anyway, mom, I love you. You know this. But, but she would use my comic books some of my favorites i would you know come into the room after not being there for a while and a comic book that was you know off the to the side of the couch was now being used as her doily as her i mean oh and 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 i would slowly lift it off and you guys some of you right now you know what i'm talking about because your parents or your sister or your brother they did the same okay they used it as a coaster and that wet ring as you as you you, you lifted the glass and the paper was lifting with it. And you're like, no, that's stuck. And then you had to kind of lift it off as the liquid ring was there. And you're like, oh my gosh. And then I'd blow dry it. I'd try and dry it. And there was just still that crusty ring in the middle of my favorite comics. That's 1978, 1977 for me. 1979. I mean, my mom was, I think she was kind of a little passively, aggressively telling me, these comics are stupid. I'm not sure what you see in them. I don't really like them. They're my coasters. They're my doilies. Okay. So, so now I've got bags and boards. I've got bags and boards. Okay. So now I'm thinking condition. So I am most definitely already buying multiple copies. And if I liked the story more, I bought more. It was just an expression. It was an emotional outpouring. If I had four X-Men comics, you know, even better. Now I understand comics got more expensive. I mean, certainly I just paid $12, you know, in this story in 1987 for an extra Kevin McGuire variant. That was only distributed, I mean, if, if that's true, because I still have it, I saw it in my box just a few weeks ago, you know, only 5,000 distributed, whatever. I'm sure there was a cases and cases at some, you know, outside the back of some warehouse. So so I wouldn't, I wouldn't die on that number. But bottom line, I was hooked on my very first variant. I had to have it. So why do you think, uh, you know, obviously I, I, would, I would have no problem supporting variants because I like the art. More art, the better. But again, no, 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 no. Had, J- had that Justice League variant been drawn by anybody else other than some of my favorites, I'm not buying it. No way, no how, okay? No way, no how. 
Uh, I wanted it because it was an extension of everything that I was loving that Kevin McGuire was doing. Again, Art Adams doing a variant on an Art Adams book. Boom, buying them both. Okay. So, you know, the other day, went into the comic store, saw a new Marvel event book, lots and lots of covers. Can't talk. Can't talk. I mean, there's there's no criticism coming from me. X-Force, my X-Force Killshot special had like 12 covers. So I will not, you know, you know, cut off my nose despite my face here and 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 add any sort of hypocrisy to it. Um most of those covers I did the covers to. So there, there, there's I think six that connect. And then there's a couple other different platform. There's a regular one, then there was like a one in twenty-five or a other option variant. But then they got the likes of Lanil Yu, Ron Lim, some other great guys to do some covers. Maybe you bought those, maybe you didn't, maybe you only bought those. Um, because you like their art better and you didn't buy mine. It's, it's all, you know, it's, it's, it's all there. All options are on the table. Uh, had Todd McFarlane done two covers on every issue of the Hulk in 1987, 88, I would have done, I would have bought those Spider-Man ditto. Okay. So you're like, well, where's this going? Where's this going is I've, I've told you that what unlocked the crazy, um, multiple variant wars was DC and their legend of the dark Knight with their purple, red, orange, blue, cardstock covers no art just cardstock that's when i was like people will fall for anything people literally again i cannot i, I i've covered this before but in 1989 the reason you got spider-man in 1990 followed by x-men and x-force is because batman to capitalize on the movie jumped out with uh, dc jumped out with a batman comic legends of the dark knight and someone had a brilliant idea of hey let's just guys it was a logo legends of the dark knight and a dc bullet and the numbering on a different cardstock cover. The art cover is underneath the cardstock cover. Maybe in my memory, there was just one that didn't have the cardstock. I'm not sure they gave you that option. I just remember going to the store and going, is this going to work? It worked. They all sold out. Shelves were bare. Okay. The, 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 the I mean, they just bought them up and, uh, and it's a purple, a red an orange and a blue. That's, that's my memory of it. Um, and, and I just couldn't believe it. And I, and believe you, if Marvel didn't say, Whoa, what just happened here? Okay. So we're going to try it with Spider-Man. We're going to do it with McFarlane, but with McFarlane, there was one piece of art and they tricked it up. They put silver foil on one. They put it in a, um, they did a, 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 a poly bag on one and then maybe a poly bag on the other version, but you know, poly bag, suddenly the birth of the poly bag too. Right? So when X-Force comes out, same cover. Five separate cards. All right. That's a gimmick. That's a variant. That is a hardcore gimmick, just like the cardstock cover, just like the one drawing of Spider-Man colored up and or treated with silver ink, different variants. You had to have them all. Okay. That's a gimmick. Okay. Uh, X-Force is a gimmick. No ifs, ands, or buts. Those five trading cards, you know, roughly a million each card. Powered you to fa- five million. Powered me. Powered me. Five million copies. Okay, I'm great. I'm 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 grateful. <laughs> I'm grateful. Grateful. Okay, so then Jim comes along with his uh, covers that you all connect to make one image, and then on the fifth week, the book with all of them printed together as a you know triple fold out. So you know it was gimmick, gimmick, gimmick. Okay, well. We're off to the races. There's no, you're not putting the barns back in the, in, in, you know, you're not putting the horses back in the barn. They have broken out and they are running on the, on the track. And these are now the ponies. Everybody's playing. Then there's that comic company I mentioned recently called Valiant. Well, they got into it 
And uh, they were very aggressive in giving you uh, some different incentives and also in giving you different, you know, uh, 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 treated gimmicky covers. But that would wait because Marvel was deciding that they really like this gimmick thing. Where am I going with this? Well, in the, in the first and foremost, we as image could never catch how many that Marvel began to do that year between 91 and 92 between Youngblood and Spawn and Wildcats. They did the Luke Cage power man. Number one, I think it was just called cage. I was, you know, I had done some, I had been asked to do some designs for that book. I, I pulled them out of the drawer the other day. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I forgot when I did all these, you know, character designs for cage. But, uh, the, uh, cage came out and it was an acetate cover, like a, like a cell, like an animated cell. And let me tell you something that is not a cheap gimmick to pull off. Okay. That is not a cheap gimmick to pull off, but they did it. And, and they expected a million sales. They expected a big whopping amount of copies. And I'm going to tell you, <clears throat> those were, uh, it was a nice product. I thought it was a really nice product. But I don't think it did. It had the result. I think people were not just, they, they just, they didn't show up in the same way. They didn't show up in the same, uh, you know, the same enthusiasm. But that Marvel was undeterred. So the acetate covered cage doesn't, you know, doesn't hit a million. Well, in the meantime, there's a process at the printer. And, and remember, I think I've, I've circled around to this, but if you were listening to this the first time, I'm going to get to the point. It's great. It's a great part of the story where the printer comes calling to all the studios, to all the publishers. And he's like the magic bag salesman. He opens up his magic bag and he's going to throw out, I got glow in the dark this, I got thermal ink here, I got holographic stamp foil here. I mean, that's all to come, okay? But in the meantime, Marvel goes <clears throat> heavy into, uh, if you guys remember this with any, um, I, I think it's one of the better ones. In 1991, they give you Wolverine 50, which had a die cut cover. The die cut is, you know, uh, to, to refers to the 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 cutting of the uh, of the paper so that there's a there, there's a the die is what they cut out and in this case there's pieces of the cover missing the cut reveals a cover underneath it's it's Wolverine's claws looking like they've torn through a dossier cover a dossier that says top secret on it. It's got the Marvel Wolverine. It's got the Wolverine um, uh, logo on it. It's got the Marvel box in today's world. I think they would have just gone with the top secret folder and not even done the logo. Um, but the tear of the claws revealing the, the Mark Silvestri secondary cover underneath was very effective. Very effective. People were excited by this. Did it sell a million copies? No, but did it sell more double the sales of Wolverine? Absolutely. But again, not a cheap gimmick to pull off the die cut. That stuff is, is, is more, that's more process. That's a process gimmick. I mean, it's not just buy this hollow foil and stick it on there or do, you know, hologram covers. Those again are very expensive. We're going to get to that. Now who gave those to you? Marvel gave those to you. <laughs> you can't get out of this episode with believing factually that Marvel just fed the gimmick mule. I mean, they were just like, they loaded that mule up and said, let's take this all across the country. Let's, let's just, uh, 
you know, we're going to go at every stop, at every station, and we're going to just keep picking up and distributing gimmick after gimmick after gimmick. Because later on in the 90s, um, of course, you've got, uh, and I'm probably getting ahead of myself, but you've got the Silver Surfer. Okay, Silver Surfer is silver. Yes. Well, they gave him uh, an all kind of silver reflective cover and that that was on silver surfer 50 and so the logo and silver surfer himself were all draped in this silver ink now i don't know if it was the same chrome ink that would be used in other gimmicks that i'm going to bring up to you but but again marvel went big they did holograms there's an entire x-men line of comic books that occurs once uh like after image has launched and uh it 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 covers Spider-Man and X-Men anniversary, the 30th anniversaries, they went with holograms and those holograms did not look right until you, unless you had to hold them from a different angle. But where, where, where you didn't see it was when you walked onto the shelf and saw it directly, a direct stare onto the cover would give you kind of just a light glare from the lights, wherever, you know, the lights were positioned overhead in the store. But then when you picked it up and you turned to the right or turned to the left or tilted it up or down, you'd see part of the hologram, but certainly directly on, you would not. Um, now, one of the critiques from one of the sites that I'm reading from right now uh, says these holograms didn't really blend in with the rest of the cover because Marvel bought the holograms and then stuck them in the middle. They had to be, the printer had to glue them with a obviously sticky substance. So, so you got a cardstock cover and the X by two by four inch square, the hologram went right there on both. Then the X-Men ones, it was kind of off to the side. You had some art and a hologram. So they did some playing around with this. The web of Spider-Man 30th anniversary one has a bunch of webs on the cover with the logo, but then in the center is that hologram, that like two inches by four inches. And then on the X-Men anniversary covers, the Fatal Attraction storyline, they had like um, an even smaller hologram, but they went with bigger art. Now, I'm going to tell you, I think that's because the holograms are so expensive. You know, smaller holograms cost less, but it's still a hologram. And then you just now, instead of doing webs, which is incredibly enticing, you have Adam Kubert, Andy Kubert, you have them do an entire piece of art that is then enhanced by the stamped on hologram. That's on these 30th anniversary of Spider-Man and X-Men um, covers that were coming out in like, I think 1994, late 93, 94. Don't quote me on that, but you can look them up. It's the uh, the Spider-Man and uh, the X-Men 30th anniversary books. It was on the Fatal Attraction. And then of course the, uh, the, the Web of Spider-Man, the Spectacular Spider-Man. So holograms are expensive. And, 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 and then having them stuck on separately. So they'd print the cards, card stock cover and then boom, boom, boom. And that takes a lot of time. You got to get ahead on the printer on that. That's more printer time. That's more product time. That's more process time. Okay. Which is why those books were, were charged up. But at the end of the day, if Marvel was getting the high six figures, like they were on these, they made money. The, the price break was there for them. But again, Marvel super aggressive. So let's go to image image is launching. Again, Marvel is in the throes of doing their their uh, you know their, their their acetate covers and their die cut Wolverine dossier covers and image launches. I launch with uh, I say I'm going to put my cards inside, so they're not standalone and they're not in a poly bag. No Youngblood was poly bagged. Youngblood two 
all of the books had the built-in cards that were just, uh, if you open the book, you got a card that was in between the staples, okay? And you could take that out. But there was no poly bag. And so was there a gimmick? Was there an incentive? Yes. But otherwise, the comic was just a comic. It's like a 36-page story on a flip book. Half of one side of Youngblood told one team and half of the other side told another team. When Spawn came out, it's just a comic book. No even no cards, just a comic book. Wildcats came out. I don't remember. I think it's just the comic book. I don't think there's cards. Savage Dragon came out, just a comic book. Okay. Brigade number one came out. I think we did the cards in Brigade 2. Um, but other, otherwise, just a comic book. No poly bags, no cover enhancements. Because this is really, when we call it, talk about gimmicks, we're now talking about cover enhancements. We haven't really gotten too heavy into the variants yet, okay? Because you're really just getting one cover and 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 you're either you're getting some sort of enhancement. Now let's stick with again the the X-Men, the the <laughs> the image comics rollout, okay? So Savage Dragon a comic book, spawn a comic book, Youngblood, cards inside, just a comic book. Okay? Wildcats, just a comic book. Shadowhawk breaks the mold. It's it's the first of the number ones. It comes in a silver foil. Uh, embossed, the the, the, the Shadowhawk helmet is raised. It's a great gimmick. I, I put it in the top five gimmicks because it's chrome. Today, it would make sense if they did a Mandalorian and they did the same, just a helmet on the Mandalorian, all black cover and and the Mandalorian logo and the face mask, or, face mask or chrome, you would totally dig it. Jim, I think because he wanted to stand out, and was feeling extra competitive, and the image guys had done very well, and Guardians of the Galaxy hadn't sold Spider-Man or X numbers, and the rest of us had all done something Spider, something X. Jim, I think, was maybe feeling he needed a little extra to do this, and he came up with a really great and fitting and awesome, what we call gimmick. Now, there was a newsstand version of this that didn't have the raised, uh, the the, the, the cardstock cover with the, you know, embossed silver ink. But you wanted that. I mean, I got to tell you, uh, that is one heck of a cover. So we did enter enhancements because Wildcats 2 leans all the way. Jim's like, for my number two, because he had seen the folder. The printer had come a calling. The printer who was going to Marvel, going to DC. He landed with the holographic foil. And Jim's like, I can make this work. And that's the fun of it. The, The effect of the holographic foil was even further enhanced by the fact that his character Void is kind of using her powers, teleporting, and and, and and it feels like the whole team is like falling through the Void as she's doing it. So the holographic foil only enhances uh, the effect that he's going for on the cover. So he really did uh, the best in, like, like what Jim Valentino did, he tried to blend the gimmick into the storytelling of the art on the cover. But we can't say that we didn't now lean into the gimmicks because we're here. It's happening. Jim Valentino, Shadowhawk 1. Wildcats number 2. We're off to the races. Youngblood 1, 2, 3, 4. I don't even think 4 had cards anymore. Maybe we abandoned that after issue 3. Brigade, just comics. Um, Maybe the built-in cards. Uh, But but, uh, Supreme comes out and I think we silver embossed the logo. We did at least some of those that way. That's now getting into 93. But what's happened by then, we've skipped. 
What happens in November 92 is a big event that is also kind of a gimmick. They kill Superman. I've talked about it. Image forced their hand. DC had a meeting. How can these guys in the summer of uh, 1992, how can these seven comics outsell our entire line of 50 comics? It It was a black eye. It was a bloody nose. And they responded by going super big. They did it with a great story. Dead Doomsday arriving and then tearing through everybody and then finally ultimately killing Superman. But there was, the, if you guys remember, the polybagged version of the death of Superman. There was all manner of versions that you had to get on board with and you had to order up front. And DC leaned hard into their, you know, uh, gimmick. There's the bloody red S on the black polybag. Uh, I have one that I have signed by Jerry Ordway who uh, gave me a nice note on it in silver ink. You know, I saw him at the conventions that year and asked him to sign mine for for me. But that was them kind of countering not only image, but leaning into what was happening with DC, with uh, Marvel Comics at the time, with X-Force, X-Men, Spider-Man. I mean, again, X-Force in a polybag, Spider-Man in a, po- in a polybag, uh, X-Men, different covers, Every issue and each cover had a different pinup on the inside. Also, remember that? Then the final one, all of them together. So, I mean, very incentivized, gimmicky. Acetate covers on cage. You got these uh, dossier die-cut claws, right? Okay. So, well, to me, the best of all of them. Never has a gimmick matched up better with a subject matter than when Marvel answered the bell, you know, rung another bell and said, uh, we got you. And how we got you is Ghost Rider. Ghost Rider was already ludicrous hot. I mean, just red hot. And this is happening prior to or right around the time of the launch of Image. The glow-in-the-dark cover. I mean, come on, guys. When we were kids, we bought toys that glowed in the dark. Cheapy little plastic, you know, um, skeletons. Or especially around Halloween, you got those fangs. I remember the first time for years and years, I dressed up as a, a vampire as a kid. Five, six, seven years old. Get the vampire fangs. Ah, you're a vampire, right? Well then, oh my gosh, maybe between seven and eight years old, which would mean it was like 1975, 1976. Glow-in-the-dark fangs. Maybe it was before then. That's when I, it registered with me. I never looked back. I wanted the glow-in-the-dark fangs all the time. The glow-in-the-dark plastic eyeball that you'd put, you know, you'd place over your 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 own eye. I mean, glow-in-the-dark is cool. Well, Ghost Rider is a, you know, demon on a motorbike with a flaming skeleton head. And uh, Mark Texiera drew up just a hell of a flaming skull and Marvel bathed that skull in glow in the dark ink. And, and baby, I, I think this may be the best gimmick of all time that there was an upcharge on that, uh, on that, uh, on that cover. And, uh, I think people went nuts. They went nuts. I know that that was something that we all talked about. That's on ghost Rider 15, this glow in the dark cover. It really highlighted the character's trademark ethereal or, you know, and, and, and his flaming aura. I'd give that one of the best outstanding gimmicks of all time. Um, cause it's interactive. You know, when you get the Shadowhawk cover, it's rad, it's chrome, it's cool looking. Um, what they would later do with the Silver Surfer 50, making him all embossed, which he's raised. Embossed is a raised image and it's all silver, silver ink. I mean, and, and, the, and the Silver Surfer logo silver, that's different than the chrome finish on the Shadowhawk. I mean, listen to this. It's just gimmick, gimmick, gimmick. Well, when uh, when DC, you know, they had had such a good time with, with, with Superman. They rolled big and uh, decided that Batman 500 would come in a bag. 
Okay, uh, it 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 was time to celebrate because I mean they're 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 break they're gonna break uh they're gonna break uh uh they're they're gonna break Batman's back and so that cover uh, came in a die cut foil embossed uh, cover. Sorry, not not a bag, a die cut foil embossed gimmick cover. Um, it is a beautiful cover. It was uh, one of the better, smoother, more accomplished. It it, it 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 didn't take away from the grimness of the cover, but the die cut uh, uh, you know aspect of the cover, along with the uh, with the foil embossed logo, just just nailed it and and made it pop out. And they sold a whole whole bunch of these. So you know, there's no there is no looking back now. We have thoroughly entered into this age so much so, like I said, I could not uh, resist. The, the knock at the door when the printer's like, he was a sweet Canadian man. Um, and he, uh, he said, Hey Rob, I want to come and show you my, uh, my, my our, our new, our new like special enhancements we can do for you at the printer. I said, all right, buddy, you come on by. And he swung by flips open his, uh, briefcase. And there they were, there they were in all their glory. All their damn glory, okay? Um, the uh, the 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 new stuff that he had to show me was the mirror coat. It was called mirror coat because they were trying to, you know, trademark and if you can control the gimmick, if you can control the enhancement, then then you can charge more when some, another printer calls you up and says, "Hey, we want to do that." And well, you're like, "Well, of course you do," because it's so badass. But it's ours. Mirror coat is ours. So uh, we did a mirror coat cover on Brigade Two, which mirror coat stands for mirror, which stands for I can see my reflection, and you could. And if you go get your Brigade Number Two right now, you will absolutely one hundred percent, you know, be able to uh, be able to look and see your reflection in it. I still have mine. I pulled mine out the other day. Mirror coat, like it was a next level of chrome. It was more reflective. So Seahawk has chrome armor in Brigade, has since the first issue. So now we're doing, Marat Michaels drew an entire three-quarter page shot of his helmet. You know, the, the, the exposed mouth was, and flesh of the chin and mouth, or he's gritting his teeth, but, you know, his shoulder, which is chrome, and his face, which with a, a, a you know, there's long points coming down off his helmet, the, 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 the Seahawk's, jagged kind of edgy helmet and the whole thing is mirror coat and you can see your reflection and it's and it's dazzling it really stands out well um i i also would not i i have to remember uh before i lay off the the glow in the dark stuff that back with incredible hulk 377 they put a fluorescent neon color on the uh the green glow ink um on the front cover of uh hulk number 377 377 so you know it was a, in addition to being a kind of glow-in-the-dark cover, the fifth color added, a fifth color is not, you know, in the normal magenta cyan uh, mix that they do. So it really popped. It, 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 it's, uh, it's really another really well-designed cover because the Hulk is in black and white, but the rest of the cover, the green and the purple, are day glow and it sticks out and it's absolutely 100% a gimmick. But while Valiant is watching us do mirror coats, and chrome, and also one thing in my Canadian buddy's 
briefcase was Thermal Ink. What was the rage right then in the 90s, early 90s, with thermal t-shirts, with thermal ink. You could touch the t-shirt and it would go from, you know, blue to lavender where your fingerprints came off. Thermal ink. And I was fascinated by this. And they said they could thermal ink covers. So blood strike number one has splatters of blood all over it by design. Again, we took the gimmick and imp implemented it into the art. I did a sketch up for Dan. Dan then implemented that sketch. Dan Frega, who is the artist of blood strike number one. And then where we had indicated blood splatters, they printed the thermal ink. Now, if you take your blow dry, if you breathed on it, the thermal ink would react to the heat and vanish. And, and so in the top of the image eye, it says rub the blood. If you rubbed it with the friction of your thumb, it would also vanish. I got a 30 year copy of blood strike out the other day and rubbed it with my friction thumb and it vanished again. And the fun part is if you got a blow dryer and you hit that cover, all the ink disappears at once. And then you immediately remove the heat from the blow dryer and the ink restores. It is, it is one of the funnest, again, an interactive gimmick, but we had leaned hard into it. So then Exo Man of War is a new launch from Valiant and they go big. They lean all the way in to this, um, chromium cover chromium, the beginning of the chromium. We would all take our bite out of the chromium, uh, apple that was gold. Fans loved it. I did a Chromium Evangeline cover. I did a Chromium Profit Club cover. But I remember this XO Man of War cover again. Price tag $350. You got to cover that price. The Chromium is the sheets and they would print on the Chromium sheets. So it, the Chromium, giant drums of Chromium uh, fabric, because it's not even really paper, but it's being folded and utilized as a cover for your comic book. But Valiant went all the way in and never looked back and they embraced on uh, multitudes of, of variants. I have been to about a dozen sites looking up what the sites remember as variant covers and their top ones, most of them all give Ghost Rider, uh, I think, is it Ghost Rider 15? They give that the winning ticket. They give that the number one. Uh, some of them put the XO Chromium. Some of them put the Dayglow Hulk. Um, you know, there's the spot, there's the polybagged Superman. Uh, I mean, literally the, 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 the death of Superman was such a huge, um, you know, uh, 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 gimmick with, with its, with its polybags, its bloody polybags, its standard vision, its cardstock. Um, you know, the, the Wolverine dossier cover, uh, again, I've already mentioned, then the lenticular, the lenticular acetate. Uh, so the Marvels series that Kurt Busiek does with Alex Ross, they go all the way back to the Dark Knight format, the perfect bound. But but the Marvels logo is on a clear acetate sheet that drops over and frames the painted Alex Ross art. So they're back in the acetate. They've re, they've used another. They've 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 used they've they've discovered another use for the acetate in laying it over, instead of making it like an animated cell, they're now just using it as a clear sheen, a clear kind of uh, framing for the artwork. And it's great. You remove it, you put it back, you remove it. It's framed, unframed, framed, unframed, but it's depending on how the acetate cover drops on the picture. So again, this is the age of the gimmicks. And gimmicks are expensive. But 
Miracote, Chrome, Chromium, you know, the uh, Thermal Ink. They all had their day. They all had their applications and we bit all into them. Lenticular was expen extremely expensive. Lenticular cover started, started rearing their heads. Again, where you look and, and the image moves and it shifts depending on your, you know, your point of view. The, uh, the, the, the um, black, uh, all black die cut embossed cover, Death Blow number one, really cool. It's all black except for the logo. And yet if you turn it a little towards the light, you can see where they cut out Jim's art. It, as artists, we were having fun with it. We were trying to utilize it, whether it was Jim's, you know, holofoil effect on Wildcats 2, or it was the mirror coat of the armored figure on Brigade, or it was the, uh, it was the blood strike number one, rub the blood. We went all in the chromium profit. Now, again, what, 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 what happens at this point is every artist in the studios, whether it's Wildstorm or Extreme, you guys got to understand, I got the knock at that door. Hey, Rob, can I come in? Yeah, come on in. Sure, Jim got, hey, Jim. Yeah, come on in. Hey, Mark, can we talk about, can I get a, can I get a variant? I mean, can I, can I get an enhancement? Can I get an enhancement? And that did happen. And uh, the one that I was never able to crack, and I still remember uh, a certain artist named named Platt coming into my office saying, I want to do a tapestry cover. I want to do it. Actually, I want to do an entire book that's a tapestry. I said, well, as I understand, as I understand a tapestry, it's an unfolding, you know, cloth, one piece that can go five, six, seven, eight, ten feet. And it tells a story across the tapestry. That's that's the function of the tapestry. He's like, yeah, that's what I want to do. I'm like, well, that's not a comic. That's a scroll. Then 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 we're printing a scroll at that point. And uh, and and I got to look back at me like, well, so what? I, I want a tapestry because that appealed to his artistic sensibilities. I want a tapestry. Well, um, again. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, a tapestry is, is, is textile art. Okay. Woven on, woven by hand on a loom. So I've always believed in my heart of hearts. Nobody ever gave me a harder mountain to scale, a hill to climb. than I would like a tapestry. And I'm like, so we're going to fold this into 10 pieces and it arrives and then you just unfold it. I mean, I just couldn't really wrap my hand around it. I, I politely, you know, called the printer, the same magic printer that says, Hey, you want to look, I got, I got thermal ink. I got glow in the dark. I got chromium. I got, I got holofoil. Okay. I said, Hey, could we do a tapestry? And the printer said, you mean like a, a cover that rolls out? <laughs> Can you imagine here? Bottom line, they came to the same. So, so you, do you want to publish a scroll? And call it a comic. And I, you know, so, so just so you know, being in publishing for 35 years, what do we start this podcast at? We talked about, we stopped, we started talking about the format that people rallied around with the Dark Knight, the format, the, the, the perfect bound. It's perfect bound. It's the Dark Knight format, perfect bound, whatever. The format, Longbow Hunters, Blackhawk. It became the thing. Okay. Again, Marvel's is perfect bound with an acetate on to, uh, acetate cover attached. Okay. So that covers 10 years of perfect bound right there from about eight years from, from dark Knight to Alex Ross Marvels. Okay. Well, formats are everything. The reason that they stopped doing magazine size 
comics, and the reason you don't see more of them is because I have been there. I have been at retail meetings during this time. I wanted to do treasury edition style comics that I've talked about here before. Superman Muhammad Ali was a treasury edition comic. I've talked about all the treasury editions that were on the newsstands when I was a kid. Some, so many of the comics that I enjoyed and I had access points to my entry point to like Morbius, the vampire, the lizard was through a Spider-Man kick-ass treasury edition that, that, that reprinted that entire four issue saga. Okay. Fantastic Four, Galactus Saga, Silver Surfer, reprinted treasury size. Well, when we said this and, and Marvel heard the same and DC heard the same, everybody, because the retailer said, how do I rack that? That takes up too much shelf space. There's no bags and there's no boards. And I would have to put a different shelving in my back issue shelves to, to put something that size. They don't want magazine size and they don't want treasury editions. They want comic book size. And they said it repeatedly again and again and again, please give us everything comic book size. Magazines during that time went back down to a comic book size format because retailers wanted it. Retailers are the ones spending their money. They are the ones driving our business. We have to listen to them. And we did. So imagine if I showed up with a scroll. So, so I really couldn't satisfy the, I want a tapestry. And there was some tension, but eventually it was like, I, but I let him down because somehow I could not deliver a scroll of profit, which to this day, just talking with you about it right now is bending my brain. I go back to that conversation in 1994. I want a tapestry. I can't give you a tapestry. That's a scroll, the, the printer. So you want to make a scroll? I mean, I guess we could have delivered them in tubes. Maybe it was a maybe it was the gazillion dollar, dollar idea that I never knew I should have done, but we didn't do it. But it's... That's a that's an example of the kind of the talent that was coming to you. Knock knock. Could I have an enhancement? Could I have an enhancement? Okay. What we what we settled on with Stephen Platt for a relaunch of Profit was a chromium cover, and it's beautiful. I held that in my hands just an hour ago. It's a beautiful comic, beautiful cover. He uh, he did some beautiful beautiful artwork, amazing lines. The chromium only enhances it, makes it look even cooler. Eventually, number one, wrap around chromium cover because because chromium, if you're doing chromium, it has to be wrap around. It's the best use of it because again, it's a piece of film or fabric that is being put on a comic book, cut and sliced and bent to shape to a comic. So, um, you know, Wizard did an Evangeline, Malin Evangeline number one gimmick cover that has an acetate, like the animated cell that I've talked about with Cage. Again, it was this never-ending age of gimmicks, but there is no one on planet Earth that invested in more of them than Marvel, than Marvel. And uh, and nowadays, we have variants. I remember when House of X in 2019, and uh, there was a giant Venom, uh, Venom storyline that's escaping me right now, but they both had 26 and 28 covers on them. Holy shnikes. Is this a greater amount of covers that is on anything during the 90s? Yes, yes it is. It puts the five covers of Jim or the five trading cards of Rob to, um, to I mean, it just annihilates those, what, what you have to look back and see, it's minimalistic. You know, again, I had 12 X-Force covers, okay? I had 12 X-Force covers coming out. I opened up Profit Facsimile Edition, what's coming in a matter of weeks to retailers. They bought 12 of those. That's 12 different retailers. When you buy, when you go into certain retailers who have participated, they are only really going to have their version that they want to sell to their customers. Some of the buy-ins are different, but we are still, 
uh, after a slight hesitation, we are in a giant, uh, juicy age of variants and of gimmicks. But the variants have become more of the gimmick because people want the art. They want the art. Different cover artists. The one that comes to mind that was burning super bright a couple years ago was a gentleman named Art Germ. He came on the scene. People dug his stuff. He did kind of an... I call it, he, he He applied the Alex Ross realistic lighting and texture to kind of anime-looking men and women. The bigger eyes, uh, the, the kind of manga and anime that I grew up with is now how Supergirl is being presented, or Wonder Woman. And he, and he, and he did a beautiful job with the color palette and the textures and the application of the paint and the, and the, uh, just the, the, just amazing sculpting with color and, and beautiful technique. And he exploded. An art germ cover was suddenly the thing everybody wanted for a period of time that really impacted sales. And so we go through these cycles all the time, but now it's, uh, one of the books that I was looking at the other day that I put back. I didn't buy any of them because I didn't like any of the covers. I didn't like any of the artists picked. And, uh, you know, for me, I need, I need an artist to sink my tooth and teeth into or to, or to decide upon. But I promised at the beginning of this that we would go and, and go further into, uh, the, 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 you know, where this is touching other, other, uh, aspects of pop culture. And we're going to get there because movies and DVDs, as you know, if you're into that world, they've leaned in hard on that as well. But finally, what we got to, and I covered this, uh, in August in a podcast about, uh, the, 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 the new level of incentives. I mean, people are looking for ways to drive sales dollars. And for a lot of the times it's statistics. I brought up Berserker from boom. And I brought up the the new spawn launches from Todd McFarlane. And, uh, what Berserker did is they went all returnable and they offered one for 1000 covers and one for 500 covers and signed Keanu Reeves incentives that you had to order 1,500 giant increments. If you want to quote me and said, no, Rob, it's 650. Great. I don't have it in front of me. I just know talking to my retailers, the spawn was for every giant increment. I don't know if it was 500 or 300. It was sizable. You qualified to get a CGC comic. I, I, I was reading by the book back in August, how these were going. But again, pre-incentive, they were at like 300,000 copies with all the different incentives that was generating excitement. But then it blew the lid off because Todd is going to go to the printer or go to CGC when the books are delivered there, have them witnessed a, a, a ticket, you know, that certifies that, that it's, that it's, you know, been signed, can be redeemed. You're going to get your signed comic, uh, your proof of, of, of signature from CGC that exploded sales and added another 300,000 sales. Now he's done it since and every, and, and, and we're now about 300 to 400,000 less than the first time he did it, which means, and I'm telling you right now, because these things have a cost again, the cost of these variants and these enhancements, they're not cheap. And sometimes they can really bite into the bottom line. The stuff that's going on with spawn right now is still extremely successful, but we're not at the 680 to 700,000 anymore. We are down to the, you know, high 200s, low 300s, which you're like, life, that's still immense. That is. But the reason it's dropped in increments, I want to say the new one is like in the 280, which is an incredible number. But again, I didn't, I was not aware until just a week ago that, 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 that this is still with this incentive. When I saw a retail say, here's my, um, CGC signed vert, you know, incentive copy that I got delivered to me along with my allotment of comics. When in the summer, when I went to my guy, 
he had partaken in the first of these CGC spawn books. And he had a C, like piles, hundreds. And he said, well, I took orders. I had X amount of customers that want this. Well, they want it because they want to have the value of it. Well, what's happened is the X amount of customers across the line, like my retailer, if you had 20 per store or whatever, and their, their thing was, I'm ordering these from my, you know, I, I, I let my guy know, hey, Billy, do you want the special? Well, you, you got you to got buy the 300, the 500, whatever the increment was. And they're like, I want it. So then now you're buying in at the whatever, 400, 500, $600, whatever it was. And you're getting your book and then you're getting this book slabbed and then you're putting it on the aftermarket and, and the desire isn't there. The demand isn't there. But was it worth doing? 100%. It's, it's the berserker. Eventually, they told the retailers, you can sell all those. Uh, imagine being able to sell all of those books that you ordered to qualify for Keanu's signature. Imagine being able to sell those back. Well, did they come off the books? No, they already got the announcement. We sold 700,000. We did it by telling you if you've ordered a thousand, you got to sign Keanu book. In six months, we're going to tell you you can send those all back. But what we got was the big daily variety. My phone rang. I had agencies calling me. Can you do this with my D-list actor? What just happened with Keanu? Can you do this? That week that Berserker launched with Keanu Reeves, I got calls from different Hollywood agencies. Rob, could you do this? Have you seen this? I just said, I can't. uh, my, My schedule's full. I didn't want to explain to them that that is a shell game of you get you 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 your your client gets attached and then if they're as big as Keanu Reeves cause what I wanted to say is none of your clients are in the Keanu Reeves you know realm and they got the big big number big push big announcement big statistic but then those covers the, the guy who had all the spawns said they're just going to my back room I'm just gonna forget I have them I I had to buy them to qualify for this I did but now again the fourth time out uh the numbers are lessening but that is the extent to the incentives that are now going on. The incentive, which is a signed specific comic, which is a much lesser allotment than having a thousand holofoils or a thousand chrome covers. Getting that one in, you know, maybe there's only a thousand of these signed comics and you have one of them. I mean, again, incentive, incentive, incentive. That is where we are at currently with gimme, gimme, gimmick, gimme, gimme, gimmick. And look, you guys, my phone rang in 2013. On the other end, I was um, really, really shocked. It was uh, the director of, you know, of the movie that they were asking me to participate in, in, uh, in doing this, uh, this specific, uh, uh, you know, this, this specific, what I'll, I'll call gimmick enhancement. It was uh, the brilliant Darren Aronofsky, okay? Darren Aronofsky, who has directed some of my absolute favorite films. I think the guy is a freaking genius. He's very avant-garde, very independent-minded, but I love Pi, I love The Fountain, I love Requiem, I even love Mother. That's me. Yes, I did. I loved Mother. He directed Noah, okay? He directed Noah the Russell Crowe Noah. And he said, I'm a big fan. I'm asking all manner of artists to contribute and draw pictures for a gallery show that I'm going to do in New York that is going to, um, you know, show all manner of different artists. He went to advertising guys. He went to classic painters. I know that myself and Jim Lee were the two comic book artists he asked. Well, when I, I, I was so happy to do it. And I, you know, really, again, you know, being raised in the church, Baptist minister, 
I wanted to do my late father proud and do a kick-ass drawing of Noah and all the animals. And I did. And it was so honor. I was honored that the director, a director I really liked, reached out to me and said, could you do this for my movie? Sure. I get it. You're, you're, it's great driving art, driving it through art. That was the incentive. Well, when I signed the contract with the studio, it was that the studio would also be able to turn it into a limited edition motion uh, movie poster if they chose to. Well, lo and behold, about six weeks before Noah comes out, I think it comes out in 2014, uh, I was informed that my book would be, my Noah poster would be at Regal Theaters as a poster at only Regal, uh, maybe, I think it was maybe even IMAX, uh, screenings. And so my wife and I, we made sure we went to the very biggest IMAX here in Southern California. And it is literally the biggest IMAX in Southern California is at Irvine Spectrum. Look it up. It'll tell you the only bigger screen is in San Francisco from San Diego to San Francisco, Irvine Spectrum monster. Trust me. I know a lot of my buddies in the business drive from LA to see the Irvine Spectrum mega screen. It's like multi-stories high. It is not a Limax. It's an, a true IMAX built 25 years ago. Fantastic. Well, we went to see Noah and grab as many of these posters. They, they, they sent us some, I got an allotment of, of other people's. I was going to go to New York. I was going to go to the show, but I had a bunch of the bloggers that cover movies. They took photos for me and my art was hanging in the gallery, um, along with all of the other different artists. And there was a, uh, you know, this, this Noah art show and it was, it was awesome to be a part of it, but my art became part of an incentive because they put out a press release at this place. You'll get this artist at this place. You'll get this artist. And I was one of the 10 people chosen to be a giveaway, uh, uh, an incentive poster. Now that's only exploded since Deadpool two with, with Fox, they did, they did a contest and they did a number of different rollouts of different posters, some of which fan made. Fan-made costumes, uh, fan-made posters. So now you're coming to, to participate in a poster that was made by fans. It's one of you, one of us. It's great. Now there's different tickets. There's different tickets. And and different events have different variants of tickets, of posters. And now we are to the DVDs. You got the Steelbook. You got the Steelbook with the hologram. You got the Steelbook with the lenticular. You guys, you're, you're just like me. You're going to Best Buy as early as you can. And now if you lose out, you hit it, you hit Amazon. Like I did with my Dune recently. And I had to get my Dune through Amazon, but I got it because I didn't want the run of the mill standard. I wanted the special one. I wanted to stand out. And what this entire podcast has been is how we are marketing different experiences, a different experience in the version of a different piece of art in a different piece of art with technology. Maybe it's a steelbook. Maybe it's a lenticular cover on top of your 4K. Okay, so 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 it's hit theaters. It's hit movie tickets. It's hit movie posters. Go to the AMC. You get this poster. Go to the Regal. Get this. Why wouldn't they participate in that? Of course they would. They want you to come to their location. And the studio wants you to go to all of them. They want you to go to the Regency. They want you to go to the, uh, the, the AMC. And they want you to go to the Regal. Okay? And, and no looking back, go collect them all. And some of them are regional, just like that Justice League variant cover that I opened this broadcast with. Some of them are only in California. Some of them are only in New York. Oh my gosh, where are we looking for these? We're looking for these on eBay. We are now making everything a collectible. And that's when I was like, whoa, whoa. It happened with Avengers Endgame. It happened with uh, all of these specialty movies. Uh, there was different posters for Star Wars Force Awakens. 
Um, you've then got the Mondo application. You've got specialty movie posters that are made by specialty companies that you have to go on on a certain day. I made a Deadpool poster for Mondo. It sold out. They called me up at the time in 2016 was their fastest sellout. It sold out the entire allotment of Mondo Deadpool posters, the one that I drew, and a variant sold out in 67 seconds. They could see the people waiting on the queue. The minute they opened the queue, boom, 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 gone. Boom, 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 gone. Okay, so... Again, major motion pictures are using the variant, are using the gimme, gimme, gimmick, okay, to get your attention. Now, obviously, there's toys now, too. There's different, I mean, do I buy the the, the, the Mandalorian, you know, special from Target, which is all, you know, one matte silver coat, or do I get the Walmart with, with the different color? Do I mean, I go to my toy dealer. And he's like, well, what's do you want, man? He talks like this. Hey, man, do you want the Walmart special? Do you want the Target exclusive? Uh, do you want the Amazon? And of course, I'm like, oh, I'll take them all. I'll take them all. I don't care. I'm an old man. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, with a credit card. I'm just going to take them all. I got to have them. I got to have them. They're not for my kids. I may lie sometimes and tell, tell you they're for my kids, but I'm, I'm lying to you. My kids don't want them. That's for me, okay? I, I just went into full confession mode, and you should know that. And, 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 and the bottom line is variants are everywhere. It's mired when I was a kid in the choose your own adventure. Have another option. Have another option. I have read, I may have read that they are going to do a version of an upcoming Marvel movie with a different tag that they're going to release six weeks later. I mean, how much, how many of you will go see that? Um, I hate that I'm raising my hand right now, but I'm raising my hand. You can see it. It's up. It's up. It's up. I'm trying to pull it down. It's up. I would go see that if six, if next week they say that Spider-Man Far From Home has a different tag at the end. I'm there. Okay, that's the world we're living in. And and I may do that with a ton of movies because we are living in the ex- experiential period. Give them a different experience. Give them, that, may be, that, that qualifies as a variant. That qualifies as a gimme, gimme, gimmick. I know there have been limited edition vinyls and LPs forever from for the last 30 years i get it laser discs i was in I, I have a whole bunch of laser discs guys i'm legit i am full-on movie crazy person okay but long story short gimme gimme gimmick who did it the most not image kids not even close hang that medal around marvel comics they deserve it they i believe still are um in the in in the in doing it the most variants incentives one in 25s, one in 100s. And you know what? I'm buying them. Guys, this isn't to condemn. This is just to map it out. Because when one guy goes, oh, Image was all about the variants. That's not true. Image was about the content, the art, the stories, the characters that you were rocking and you were, did we do some? We sure did. But, you know, Supreme, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, come on. Did some, sometimes we would do an event, we'd polybag it. Sure, sure. Guilty. Guilty is charged. There is nothing that I can look down my nose on. But right now, the new world of incentives. I mean, honestly, at what point am I offering you? If you buy a thousand, I will draw you. I will give you a sketch cover. Okay. I will give you a sketch cover. How many of you, I mean, literally that this can go on and on and on and it's endless and it's crazy, but that is the world we are currently living in. And I don't think there's any looking back. I believe eventually on, on, on our streaming services, we are going to get to choose other adventures, other avenues of the story that, that, that may become available to us four weeks later, maybe 10 days later, you know, somewhere down the line, this, there's no end in sight. 
I just wanted to source it, get all the way back to the beginning, and have an entire episode where we discuss the world of gimme, gimme, gimmicks. And one last thing I wanted to add in regards to all of the discussion on variants and gimmicks and enhancements, or as uh, in the Star Wars universe, we call them modifications. This comic needs modifications. All right, listen. When I was a kid, uh, my dad, big baseball fan, everybody, like my grandfather, my uncle, all between the Dodgers and Angels, big big baseball fan. I wasn't as big of a baseball fan. I was I was more into the NFL and the NBA. And bottom line, when they uh, would, would try and get me excited about going to baseball games, they'd be like, "It's bobblehead night! Come on, you're gonna get a you're gonna get a bobblehead. You know, you're gonna get get a bobblehead of you know favorite player." And I'm like, "I don't have a favorite player," but they're like, "But it's 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 like a toy." And uh, they really wanted me to like baseball. You know, in the uh, in the worst way, but uh, it's like I don't want a Tommy Lasorda bobblehead, you know. But but uh, the thing is, Laker games that in in the throes of uh, you know my favorite period for the Lakers, where, where where it was Shaq and Kobe. I mean, they're a winning culture. Tickets selling out all the time. They'd still incentivize with a Kobe bobblehead giveaway, Shaq bobblehead giveaway. Your favorite team, baseball, NFL. NBA at some point hockey they've done a bobblehead of you know a giveaway it's an incentive it's, it's it's given to you at the door oftentimes at the gate these are in in the same realm as what we're talking about with with enhancements with uh, modifications the variants the gimmicks so so sports has understood this even earlier than publishing did so so I mean again th- there's no uh, there's no condemning it it's exciting to see where it's going to go and all of the different um, shapes. And, and formats and 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 um, you know incentives that are going to continue to grow out of the current marketplace. But again, I've always just seen it as the bobblehead. You know, come and they'll give you a bobblehead. They'll give you a free little toy. Um, it and come on, they are they're fun. They're fun to get. Um, and uh, I I, I uh, you know Rams players, baseball players, Angels players, Dodgers players. You can tell these mean a tremendous amount of me. Uh, they don't. I remember before, uh, or or right after Chick Hearns, the the legendary Lakers uh, announcer, passed away. They did a, they they did a Chick Hearns bobblehead. That's the one that I have in a box that I know exactly where it is. But again, incentives, incentives. You know, get people through the door. Maybe it's it's the time of year I should pay more attention. Maybe it's the time of year where they think that the uh, you know, this, the, the tickets and the attendance is low and they want to keep it high because a great attendance helps a team, especially live sports. So again, this is all part of the gimmick enhancement. It all folds into the same thing and sports has been doing it forever. So I just wanted to tie a ribbon on that in connecting it to everything that I'm telling you about publishing and as well now as, you know, movie posters, uh, uh, t- you know, collectible tickets, collectible posters, depending on the theater that you go to or the, you know, DVDs, the 4Ks, uh, all of the different, uh, the, 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 the steel boxes. So, so it, it's not going anywhere, but it's fun to examine it. And again, Marvel wins, plant that flag on their hill. They are the winner and all time champion in this until someone does a whole lot more to unseat them. At the end of every show, I read your reviews and we're going to do that. But today at the end of this show, I want to discuss something that's really fascinating to me. And, uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of this uh, phenomenon, and the reason I'm going to share this phenomenon with you is because that uh, 
because mostly this has really come to my um, uh, attention with the current uh, Batman film that's coming out in March, the Robert Pattinson, the starring, the Matt Reeves directing. You know, I've, I've mentioned it here on the show a couple times. I've gone back. I've sourced that stuff for you. I've told you it is mired. Uh, about four weeks ago, I told you it is mired in the Frank Miller, David Mazzuchelli, seminal, legendary, uh, uh, classic Batman Year One. Frank did this following Dark Knight, so he showed us the future. Now he's going to go all the way back to the present. I read to you one of the previous uh, acclaimed Batman writers who had now become an editor, Denny O'Neill. Dennis O'Neill had uh, written how like Frank was the perfect guy. He could enhance and expand on the existing origin and. When you see, when someone who experienced Batman Year One, and I don't give it enough play, it wasn't Dark Knight level crazy because so much of what made Dark Knight was just all those futuristic ramifications, the the warped political view, the way he depicted politics, the White House, Superman as a government stooge, the big showdown with Batman versus Superman, Green Arrow having no arm, a female Robin, the, the deranged um, versions, updated versions of Joker, um, I mean, the, the beefier, meatier uh, Batman, the futuristic, you know, the first time we'd seen the, 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 the Batmobile depicted as a tank. There's a lot of reasons Dark Knight hit so many buttons. Frank was on full tilt, okay? But Batman Year One uh, is really much more nuanced. It's like a crime novel. It's, it's very noir. And when you see Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman, in Matt Reeves' footage, it, it, it's almost shot by shot, some of the Mazzuchelli Miller depictions. And uh, so so here's a, here's a funny thing. So we're getting, they're really ramping up because we're going to get, I mean, the Batman movie by Reeves and Patterson, Pattinson is going to be the gift that keeps on giving for quite some time. I think it's going to be excellent. Uh, I think Matt Reeves, again, as I surmised in an earlier episode, I think he recognizes this is his de- next step to, to auteur to to the 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 you know Christopher Nolan space uh, that, that that this is this is how he gets there by making this seminal Batman uh, you know because when you get Batman you get crime you get mafia you get you get you know detective work you get noir um, I mean it's 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 a really great conduit in terms of a comic book franchise because it touches on stuff. That, you know, maybe you scratch at Scorsese, it's over here, or Francis Ford Coppola, it's over here. Certainly Christopher Nolan did that. And certainly, you know, the Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie uh, did that. So I, so I, I see that we're going to, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be the gift that keeps on giving lots of stuff that we're going to be able to parse and, and take apart. But as this movie and the promotions roll out and you get on social media and it's across all, there are people who are trying to celebrate moments in this movie and contribute it to creators who have done the book in the last 10 years. And it's so funny to me. I literally laugh out loud. I laugh out loud. And that's what brings us to recency bias, recency bias. And how is it affecting Batman? Let me tell you the the definition of recency bias is the tendency to place too much emphasis on experiences that are freshest in your memory, even if they are not the most relevant or reliable. Okay. Um, the, 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 it, it, it's, uh, what it's really saying is you prefer what is in the now than is what is from yesterday. That is an offshoot of, of recency bias. Um, 
you know, the, it, it, it's, it's, it's the focus on the now. It's, it's a clinical way of saying it's you focus on the now. I encounter recency bias, and I've said this on the podcast, and if you know, if you listen to the podcast, I mean, I've already kind of dovetailed sports into this episode right now with the with what I told you about the bobbleheads and the incentives and the giveaways, but the bottom line is, I, I do, I see so much through sports. What is sports? It's competitive. What What is every market? It's competitive. It's just so obvious. In sports, they're getting on the field and they're trying to score on each other. In, in publishing, in movies, and all of this stuff, it's very, very competitive. And and with my, so I, I bring up sports a lot, but in my kids who played a ton of sports, uh, they, I mean, hockey, basketball, football, my kids, soccer, we, we've covered so many, um, um, uh, ah, there's another one I'm, I'm leaving out, but, uh, the bottom line is that, that, uh, I've seen it with my own kids who they downgrade the Michael Jordans and the Joe Montana's. I don't care how many Super Bowls Tom Brady has won. Statistically, he has got to be, uh, up there and, and at the top, but Joe Montana was the better quarterback to me. I think he won against better teams, against better opponents. I mean, honestly, pa- Tom Brady, as great as he is, he beat Jared Goff, okay? He beat Jared Goff in a very low-scoring affair. Was that a 16-3, to 13-6, to 16-6 game? I mean, that 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 uh, the 2019 Super Bowl where the Patriots beat my Rams. I mean, again, Jared Goff was a young kid. Joe Montana uh, had to go through uh, much di- more difficult defenses because the rules... And the guidelines of the day made it so you could hit receivers and quarterbacks much more viciously. It was a much more violent game. It's violent today, for sure. But but they have dialed back in basketball and in football. The Jordan and the Montana era are not the same way, are not the same era as they are now. I surmise if you put Montana or Jordan in today's culture of the NBA or the NFL, they would score higher. Jordan would drop 50 points a night. He was that determined. Now that the hand check rules and 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 so many of the rules, both in football and and, and and basketball, I'll make this really quick. They've scaled back the rules to favor the offense because they, the NBA owners and the NFL owners believe, and they are rightly so. Offense sells tickets. It gets eyeballs. It it gets viewers. It is all to favor the offense. Scoring, scoring, scoring is much more important and much more palatable. But. We can disagree and we can have a spirited argument, but my kids, I've seen it in my own household, they have recency bias. Who they like now, they have figured is better than who was then, even though they didn't grow up in that era. I did. I've watched Jordan. I've watched LeBron. I've watched Kobe. I've watched Steph Curry. You know, I've watched Montana Marino. Okay, I've watched Elway. I've watched, you know, Brett Favre. Uh, all the way through, right? Uh, up, up until now, Patrick Mahomes. Okay, the uh, the thing is, recency bias claim it just you want what is now to be the most important thing and it disregards the memory of what came before and it's funny to me batman year one is all frank miller written he's the story david mazzicelli complimented him doing amazing visuals just as they worked together on daredevil both utilizing worlds that frank established previously in daredevil and you know again his first swing of the bat on batman which was Dark Knight, but his first swing of the bat actually was at DC Christmas special in 1979. But I'm talking about like as writer and artist, not just illustrator. But Frank had established this world and these parameters. And later on, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale got approval from Paul Levitz, who was the publisher of DC Comics at the time, to that they could tell a long Halloween and dark victory. They could tell that in Frank's world. And, and Jeff would crow about the fact that he was one of the few people to get access. He and Tim, and they did a very Frank Miller 
style take. They complemented what Miller and Mazzuchelli did in year one. So if you put them all together, you've got like 30 issues in this world. But it started by Miller and Mazzuchelli. So when you see the Robert Pattinson and the Matt Reeves Batman, it is from Frank Miller. So check this out. This week, this week, as, as I record this, this, this podcast in January of 2022, Matt Reeves confirmed it's based on Frank Miller's year one. And still, he confirmed it. You guys, from his mouth, in an interview, he confirmed it. But still, still, there are those who are like, no, 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 no. It's, it's, it's this and that and that. A run from four years ago, five years ago, six years. No, it's not. It's not. The director has identified. He's not being clever. He's telling you, but your recency bias, and this is a culture that that is that is suffering from this. See, I, I went and, and, and the thing that I loved about the original Deadpool screenplay, I'm going to go personal with this in 2010 is it didn't reflect any of the craziness. I, I felt Deadpool had become almost way too cartoony. He was fighting Howard the Duck villains from 2010 to like 2017. When the Deadpool movie comes out, he is battling giant dinosaurs and, and dragons. And it's, it's, it was not my favorite run. It is not a run that I enjoyed it. They made him too damn wacky and crazy. The Deadpool in the movie has only one scene plucked out of a comic book, and it's a Daniel Way comic book. It's the pizza delivery. It's a, they expanded on the pizza delivery aspect that uh, it was in a Daniel Way written comic with the, when in the flashback where Wade uh, threatens the guy who gets the pizza delivered to him. It's in the first quarter of the movie. Otherwise, that movie is 100% original. It just takes a mercenary, his transformation through a... They didn't make it the Weapon X program. They, they you know made it more of a Francis program but they made an entirely original movie based on the tenets of the character. Guy who's transformed by an experiment, uh, wrecked his life, took the love of his life away. You know, obviously I had created Vanessa. I created Wade Wilson. I created the, the, the Deadpool world. But that story is in and of itself very specific to what Rhett and Paul and Ryan wanted to tell you. They took a character and they put him in a world. The, the you know, uh, uh, so many like stories like the Jason Momoa Aquaman that that's that's a story in and of itself they kind of kind of made that up you know Spider-Man No Way Home that's not in a comic if, if Spider-Man No Way Home reflects anything it's the 60s cartoon where the Sinister Six comes together which I showed my son which he wanted to see because he had read well this is where the Sinister Six you know they said there's a cartoon that resembles it sure and then there was a multiverse episode in the 90s I believe or the early 2000s Spider-Man that's come up that reflects mostly some of what they did in the movie. But that comic book, No Way Home does not exist in a comic book, okay? He didn't meet the Tobey Maguire, you know, the, the the Andrew Garfield, other... The brilliance of No Way Home is it's very original. The authors of all the characters and the relations you see in that is Steve Ditko and Stan Lee. You know, with Deadpool, there's one sequence that's taken out of the comic. The rest of it is just adherent to the assassin who is a smartass, you know... Uh, uh, they really leaned in on the R-rated violence. I loved it. And it never forgot to be funny. But he's ruthless. Deadpool is murdering people right and left in Deadpool, being true to his name. They even did some really original stuff, uh, like like making the suit red uh, so that, that you wouldn't see him bleed. Hey, everybody, I created Deadpool. That's not my idea. That's a great idea. They did that. They enhanced, applied, and made that better. In 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 the first Christian Bale, uh, Batman, uh, uh, that, that movie, that relationship with Ra's Ghoul, 
Razad's ghoul, however you say it, and him being trained and going, all of that. Nolan, that is original. He just took his own he, he took his own swing at 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 Batman, and he landed it phenomenally. Now there are elements, you know, Carmen Falcone is in that, okay, but and, and he's a character that was in Year One, right? But so much of 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 the first Christian Bale Batman is uh, is completely. Christopher Nolan just going, taking what he likes, making the story that he needs to make to get his vision on screen. The depiction of the Joker by Heath Ledger and by Joaquin Phoenix are original to those movies. Heath Ledger did a radical, completely different take on the Joker than I had ever seen before in my life. And it's one of the reasons why we all were just so, wow, it was so fresh. Um, Joaquin Phoenix, same thing, just so fresh. Recency bias finds that all you do is compare it to what you liked recently. And that's not the case. Source this stuff. Go out. Find the original authors. Enjoy the work that put these characters on the map. Go and see how, how what a dick Deadpool was when he first appeared in New Mutants and X-Force. And he would, uh, you know, collect his bounties and deliver them and, and, and you know espoused yuck as they bled on top of him. I mean, it's, it's, he, he was there. He was a smart ass. He was funny and he was violent. What they did in the Deadpool movie that no one ever nailed is get that tremendous romance going to the meat of Vanessa and Wade. And, and that is why we, I think part of why we all love it so much credit to the screenwriters, credit to, to, to that amazing story. Pattinson Reeves, Batman, Whatever they do, wherever they take it, it is mired in a depiction that is from Batman Year One. He's telling you it is. Stop fighting him. Stop acting like it's from a comic book you read last week. It's not. It's not. This recency bias thing, I think, is only going to get worse. I've seen it with my kids, and my kids aren't ready for the fact that when they're in, in 15 years, 20 years, their kids are going to be telling them that Steph Curry wasn't very good anyway because he didn't beat anybody. He didn't beat anybody good because they tend to they tend to, they tend to focus on just what's in the now. I have heard that the, the, the generation that wants to downgrade Michael Jordan says that he didn't beat anybody good. What? Magic? The mailman? The Detroit Pistons? What? Um, but that's what they say. They say it with a straight face. They say it actually angrily, with emphasis, you know? And, 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 and because this generation wants their own champions, it's recency bias. It is my player that's playing right now is better than anything that ever came before. That is not true. And with these comic book movies and so much of what's going on, source this stuff. I am here for the sourcing that, that, that I, I don't like seeing creators skipped over. Okay. And, uh, and, and, and so, so when you look at the Batman, when you look at that work, you know that, that, that it is mired. The director has told you year one, Miller, Mazzuchelli, seek it out. If on top of it, read the long Halloween, um, read, read, read those, um, exceptional stories and know that they took place in year one at that. So now we, here we are an extended episode at the end. I read your comments. We need your support guys. We need your support. Like never before on this platform, when you give reviews and you give five stars and you leave, um, positive things about the show, it matters. It elevates us. I appreciate it so much. Um, I just, I, I, I'm so thankful that you guys are along for the ride today is from Eric holiday. Eric wrote to me, Eric holiday, two L's. Rob, seriously, bro, thank you for all you've done for the comics industry. I have been a huge fan since I was 17 years old, and now my son is that same age, and he is crazy about you as well. Well, thank you. That That's, I'm just inserting my own thank you here. We chat almost every day about the latest episodes of Rob's Observations, and I cannot thank you enough for that, my man. 
We both greet each other on the phone these days in your Todd McFarland voice, calling each other, bud, bud, bud. And then he says, hey, thank you so much. His son's name is Brady Holiday, so I'm giving a shout out to Brady and Eric. Thank you for this generous, generous shout out. I'm so glad that you guys are able to um, enjoy this and it brings you together and you're discussing it. Hey, remember, Eric, Brady, Sorcerer Comics, Batman Year One. That is what... The Batman by Robert Pattinson. Zoe Kravitz Catwoman is literally Xeroxed right out of those pages. I mean, they they have source that never has a Catwoman so reflected an artistic source and so much as this has. And I I am very excited. It, it obviously the the movie looks like it has some big Dave Fincher seven you know Zodiac energy in it as well. But anyway, here's the deal. Thank you, Eric. I inserted a, a little more of my show into the, the the into thanking you with the recommendation. But Eric, thank you for this. Brady Holiday, uh, Eric Holiday, shout out to you guys. Thank you for enjoying the show. You guys, I am all over social media on Twitter. I am at Robert Liefeld, R O B E R T L I E F E L D. I have a blue check. Why is that important? Because that's really me, not some of these phony accounts. Beware the phony accounts. On Instagram, I'm Rob Liefeld. Just R-O-B-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. I got the blue check. I'm there all the time. Twitter, uh, Instagram. Love reading your DMs, your messages, your mentions. Thank you for talking at me. I love reading them. Let's keep it up. On Facebook, I'm everywhere. I'm all over the place. I say this every episode, but it's true. Bronze Age, Silver Age, Artist Group, Sci-Fi, Logan's Run, Lost in Space, Planet of the Apes. You'll find me. You throw a rock on Facebook, you'll hit me. I'm there. So look for me. We have a page... Observations with Rob Liefeld has its own dedicated Facebook page. I've been responding to some of you guys this week. Um, if you say a dick comment, I'll just throw you out. Be honest, I don't have any room for that stuff. So just just know ahead of time. But thank you for swinging by. Thanks for checking it out. You guys, this is the time of the show where we agree as we prepare to say farewell that we're going to take care of each other until we hang out the next time. You're going to take care of yourself. You're going to slow down. You're going to take that break. You're going to read a comic book. You're going to watch a show. You're going to go on a date. You're going to eat a great meal. Take care of yourself. Uh stay safe above all things stay safe and we are going to talk again real soon